0: Father, we love you, Lord, in Jesus' name we pray that God, you would open the eyes of our heart. Lord, we wanna see Jesus in Genesis. And so Lord, help us as we study the life of Joseph here in Genesis 45. Lord, help us to see the, 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 the fact that he was made a sacrifice so his family might live. And Lord, what an incredible thing you have done for all of Adam's race. You were made our sacrifice. And Lord, sometimes when we look at what our sin costs you, we're tempted to be grieved and angry with ourselves. And uh, you, you in, instruct us, you reveal to us that you forget our sin. Lord, thank you for Calvary. Thank you for Christ as our sacrifice. Thank you for the provision that we have in him, the life that we have in him. Lord, help us to see Jesus. Lord, we pray that the name and person of Christ would be lifted up and magnified and that, Lord, you draw all of us to yourself, we pray in Christ's name, amen. Okay, verses 45 through, or I'm sorry, chapter 45, verses one through 16, we're gonna, we're gonna title this section, Joseph's Revelation, the Revealing of Joseph to his brethren, uh, and really what we're seeing here in the, last, in the last section of Genesis is the reunion and the reconciliation of, of Joseph's family. And so here's how it begins, verse one, and then Joseph could not refrain himself before all them that stood by him. Now you remember, in the last chapter, Joseph had basically set them up to realize their, their, their life is over as they know it, best case scenario. Uh, he has them framed for theft. They know they haven't stolen anything, and yet at the same time, Joseph uses this, God uses this in their life to show them that they really are thieves. And they admit that in the last chapter. Uh, They finally recognize their sin is finding them out. And so Joseph, upon seeing their repentance here in chapter 45, he reveals himself to them. He couldn't refrain himself. He had to reveal himself to his brothers. And he cried, cause every man to go out from me And there stood no man with him, while Joseph made himself known unto his brethren. You talk about boldness. Here's a guy that's just basically saying, your life is over. His guard, everyone is gone. Now he's just standing before 11 men. You know, Joseph had obviously been practicing Krav Maga. He wasn't worried about anything, okay? But there it is, I mean, talk talk about boldness. There stood no man with him, while Joseph made himself known unto his brethren. And he wept aloud, and the Egyptians of the house of Pharaoh heard. What is going on? Joseph is freaking out. They heard it, and Joseph said unto his brethren, "I am Joseph. Doth my father yet live?" And his brethren could not answer him, for they were troubled at his presence. You know what they're all thinking, right? Well, we're going to die. It's a, no wonder everything's making sense now. We're we're dead men. We're dead men standing. Verse 4 Joseph said unto his brethren, Come near, don't miss the picture that's being set up for us. Come near to me, I pray you. And they came near, and he said, I am Joseph, your brother, whom ye sold into Egypt. Oh, he remembers that. <laughs> We're really going to die, <laughs> our life is over. Okay, so here in verses one through three, Joseph is making himself known to his brethren in their second encounter with him, their second encounter with Joseph. Do you see the picture? So also, as it is with the family of Israel in her beginning, so also it is with the nation of Israel. The first time she meets with her Messiah, the first time Israel encounters Jesus, uh, they don't recognize him for who he is, they reject him but they'll recognize him in the second encounter. So this is a picture, what we're seeing here, this picture of Joseph being reconciled with his brothers, that is a picture of the second coming of Christ. A picture uh, uh, of the time where Christ is fully reconciled with the nation of Israel. And that's what happens here in, in chapter 45. Joseph is fully reconciled to his brethren at their second meeting. Look down in verse 15. Moreover he, Joseph, kissed all his brethren and wept upon them. And after that his brethren talked with him. The relationship is restored. That is a picture that is painted so clearly for us in scripture. Israel as a nation, the the literal physical nation of Israel will be fully reconciled to the Lord Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul lays that out in Romans chapters nine through 11. And the conclusion of the whole matter is, God is not done with the nation of Israel. Yes, they they conspired with the Gentile world to murder their Messiah. You and I were complicit, right? The Gentile world was complicit in rejecting our creator. But at the second coming of Christ, it'll be full restoration. Paul talks about it in Romans 11, verse 25. I would not, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own conceits, that blindness in part that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles become in. Uh, that will be over once Christ returns, right? So so the fullness of the Gentiles become in. Right now, there's a harvest of the Gentile nations taking place. Uh, this is the responsibility of the bride of Christ, right? As local churches, what are we doing? we're we're following in obedience to the Lord's command and we're trusting God to win souls and to make disciples and to train people to go and do the same that's our job that's that was the commission that the Lord gave us to go to the gentile worlds and tell them of uh, to the gentile nations and tell them of Jesus that's our job well once the fullness has come in then the times of the gentiles will end Christ will, retain, will return and he will put down all Gentile rule. Uh, you read about that very clearly in Daniel chapter two, Daniel chapter nine. The promise of Christ to come to obliterate the, the, the nations, the kingdoms of this world in terms of their ability to trod down the nation of Israel, the, 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 the city of Jerusalem. Uh, he is the stone that crushes everything and then he fills the whole earth. It's a, it's a beautiful picture. Verse 26 says at the return of Christ and so all Israel shall be saved. As it is written there shall come out of Zion the deliverer and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. What a great deliverance. You know at the end of Acts chapter seven, the religious rulers are still in blindness. They can't see Jesus for who he is. He can't, you know for who he was, uh, for who he is. They kill Stephen over it in Acts chapter seven. But they will recognize him the second time. Israel will see him for who he is at, his second, at, his, at the second encounter or at his second coming. Uh, Jesus will reveal himself to his brethren. So don't miss that picture. What's, what's Joseph saying? Come near and I will reveal myself to you. Well, that's how it works in our relationship with the Lord, isn't it? James chapter 4 verse 8 says draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you cleanse your hands ye sinners purify your hearts ye double minded Jesus said in Matthew 11:28 come unto me all ye that labour and are heavy laden and i will give you rest draw near come to me what does he say come let us reason together the Lord wants you to come near to him that you might know him, that you might partake in his mission, his vision, his commands, that you might partake with him in his mission. Notice in verse three that the, that the brothers, whenever they recognize Joseph for who he is, they can't answer him. His brethren could not answer him for they were troubled at his presence. You know, at the first coming of Christ, Israel didn't recognize Christ as Messiah, they rejected him, but at the second coming, they will be troubled at his presence. Zechariah 12.10 tells us that, that they will look upon me whom they have pierced. Man, what a powerful messianic prophecy. They shall look upon me whom they have pierced, and they shall mourn for him as one mourneth for his only Son, and shall be in bitterness for him as one that is in bitterness for his, for his firstborn. And that's exactly what Joseph addresses with his brethren, all right? With his brothers, with his brethren. They're troubled at his presence. They recognize him for who he is and they think, oh no, we're undone. We're, we're dead men standing. They're mourning, they, they, they quote unquote pierced him, right? They betrayed him, certainly they pierced his heart. They betrayed him, they sold him into slavery. And now here he is standing before them, ruler of all. Okay, the nation of Israel betrays Jesus and then when he stands before them again, he stands before them as ruler of all. And so Joseph's response, okay, immediately is to give comfort. Jesus does the same. In verses five through 10, let's look at the comfort that he gave, right? They're mourning, right? They're in bitterness, they're troubled at his presence. So Joseph pipes up, now therefore be not grieved nor angry with yourselves that you sold me hither. For God did send me before you to preserve life. There it is, Joe was made, if I can pull out my air quotes, he was made a sacrifice for them that they might live. Right, he was sold into slavery. They did that because they hated him. But God was using that, God was taking that Right, he was working it all together good for good so that he might rescue them. Well, that's how Calvary works. Right? Now, you know, I mean, J- Joseph is willing. Look at what he says. Be not grieved. Be not grieved nor angry with yourselves. You sinned against me, but God's using that. So don't miss that. He's willing to forget the past. He's willing to forgive and forget. Well, that's what happens at Calvary. Christ was made our sacrifice and all who come to the I mean all who come to God through the finished work of Christ at Calvary we are crucified with him over our sin we are buried with him in his death and we are risen with him in eternal life and God remembers our sin no more we're tempted sometimes to be grieved and angry over our sin that put Christ on the cross of Calvary um, and I'm not gonna say it's not an appropriate way to feel from time to time. I'm just saying don't, 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 don't let that take over your heart or your mind. Don't be grieved or angry with yourself. God's forgetting, right? He's, he's, he's constantly forgetting your sin. As far as the east is from the west, that's how far your sin is from the Lord now. He remembers it no more. Your sins man, they they completely wrecked and ruined your life but they're not a part of who you are anymore. We are saved by him. Once Christ is in our life, sin is dealt with. Now that Joseph is being reconciled to his brothers, the past doesn't matter anymore. So many people, they they recognize their sin separates them from, from God and so they come to the Lord and they cry out for forgiveness. They cry out in repentance for salvation. But then what happens is the accuser of the brethren keeps lording their past sin over them and what ends up happening so many times is people instead of moving forward in faith in following, because they are forgiven, because they have been set free from the bondage of sin, instead of following forward in faith, following forward in the word of God, they wallow in the condemnation of sin. You're like, well, but you know, if you knew what I thought, if you knew what I said, if you knew what I did, uh, you would say, you're a disgusting human being. <laughs> I want no part. I want no place with you. And yet the living God says, that's not who you are anymore. That's, I mean, obviously, again, maybe we do need Romans. Maybe that is the, the next one. I don't know, but, but pray for me. Where do we go from Genesis? That's the big question. I'm, I'm keeping that before the Lord. Genesis, I mean, in, Revela- in Romans, sorry, So there was a, uh, I would love to preach the book of Revelation, but anyway, okay, so. I mean, what do you have? You've got Paul recognizing who he is in the flesh. In me, in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. It's present tense. Dwelleth no good thing. I mean, in terms of who I am in the flesh, I'm a hot mess. All there ever is, all there ever will be, is condemnation in the flesh, This is why the Bible tells us we know no man after the flesh. Our relationships are through the person of Jesus Christ and so when you've got a brother or sister whose flesh is showing a little bit, you have to remember that's not who they are. In Christ, they're living the new man. Their old life has passed away. Behold, all things are become new. All All our flesh is ever gonna do is walk in condemnation. When you get saved, nothing happens to your body. Your flesh is still, I mean, it is bound in a sin nature. The, the good news of the gospel is God sets you, he sets you free. He separates you from the body of the sins of the flesh. Now you have two hearts, two natures. There's two lives at play. One is a walking corpse and the other is eternal life in Christ. So, you know, Christians do this. They walk in, I mean, the accuser of the brethren points out everything they ever do wrong. Gets them focused on their failures in the flesh, and then they never get full of faith and just move forward with Christ. What, I mean, A, what a waste. B, what a disaster to fall for that. Next time you catch yourself messing up, you ought to just remind the devil, you ought to remind yourself, well, that's, that's who I am in the That's all I was ever going to do was mess up in the flesh. Thank God for Jesus. And I'm going to just start walking in the spirit, and I won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. That's always the answer to everything, right? The how, how you replace the problems. You know, if you got a smoking problem and you recognize, I keep this up, lung cancer is going to get me. So you quit. What do you do? Well, you gain thirty pounds. That's what you do. That's how it works, right? Because you, you got. I mean, you've been sticking. You've been sticking the wrong thing in your mouth. Well, then start sticking the right things in your mouth. Put on some weight. Praise the Lord. Got too many scarecrows running around. You know. Get some meat on them bones. Okay, so there it is. Man, just walk in the spirit. You say, ah, but I messed up real bad. Uh, yeah, I know. Walk in the spirit. Follow after the word of God, man. That's, that's freedom. That's forgiveness. That's rejoicing. You know, in John chapter 21, you got Peter, he just failed the Lord three times. Everybody else, you know, this riffraff, they're gonna flake out on you. I'll die for you. Jesus like, oh man, before sun up, before the cock crows, you're gonna deny me. me, you're gonna betray me, you're gonna deny me three times. Sure enough, he does it. And so, I mean, nobody has ever been lower than Peter. Just the weight, the recognition, for all the bravado, for all the bragging, completely failed the Lord Jesus Christ. He did not stand with them in his suffering and he is just feeling terrible about it. Let me give you some homework. John chapter 21. Read the picture of God's grace to forgive and recommission him. Three times Peter denies the Lord Jesus Christ. He needs to be fully reconciled to the Lord, and so what does the Lord do? Peter, lovest thou me? Right, and then he commissions him. Peter says, yeah, I love you. Feed my sheep, right? Feed my sheep, feed my lambs. Lord, you know all things. You know I love you. What he, what he can't say is, is, "But look how badly I messed up. No, no, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel. When Christ reconciles, it's full reconciliation, and then you're not who you, you're fit in terms of who you are, the failures in the flesh, that is not you anymore. Jesus refuses to remember any of it. He just wants you to move forward in obedience. He spent. How much of your life just wasting it on living for yourself? Getting nowhere quick. I liked, uh, I liked what Jeff said about worry just being like a rocking chair. What do he say? A whole lot of moving, nope. not going anywhere? Yeah. Did I get that close? Yeah. yeah, it gives you something to do but it doesn't take anywhere. Man, that's good. I gotta remember that one. I mean, how much of your life was wasted just living for self. Brothers and sisters, be reconciled with Jesus. Put on the new man, move forward in obedience. So this is a picture It shows us the revelation of Christ is the revelation of the infinite grace of God. Once you've got Jesus in your life, you're forgiven. The grace of God is abiding on your life. You're enjoying his mercy and grace. Joe explains what's really happening in verse six. He says, these two years, for these two years hath the famine been in the land, and yet there are five years in the which there shall be neither earing. Earring means to plow. Okay, that's an old uh, King James English word for, for plowing, to plow. There will be, neither shall, be shall neither, shall neither be earing nor harvest. So five more years of famine. Okay, now if we keep track, That makes Joseph 39 years of age. Uh, If he's 30, when he begins his earthly ministry, and we did the math on that, we've already had now the seven years of plenty, we're into two years of famine. So 30 plus seven plus, he's 39 years old, running the civilized world, ruler of all. Uh, Pretty incredible. Okay, so he talks about the provision that comes with the relationship that they have with him. Verse seven, and God sent me before you to preserve you a posterity in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So now it was not that you sent me hither but God. That's really what happened. I mean, you thought you hated me and you you made money betraying me. That's what you thought. But no, God was behind it all. He used it all. And he, God, hath made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord of all his house and a ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. So what's the right response? Verse nine, haste ye and go up to my father and say unto him, thus saith thy son Joseph, God hath made me lord of all Egypt, come come down, right? Come down unto me, tarry not, and thou shalt dwell in the land of Goshen, and thou shalt be near unto me, thou and thy children, and thy children's children, and thy flocks, and thy herds, and all that thou hast, and there will I nourish thee, for there are yet five years of famine. So do that, receive that, why? Lest thou and thy household and all that thou hast come to poverty. So here in verses really seven through 11, he's promising, Joseph is promising to provide for his people. And Jesus does the same. Philippians chapter 4, verse 19, my God shall supply all your need. Notice it doesn't say all your want. My God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. So I will nourish you. There's five more, like this, this seven year period of tribulation, uh, we're, we're not through it yet. There's five more hard years coming. And so, verse 12, behold, your eyes see in the eyes of my brother Benjamin, you recognize me now, that it is my mouth that speaketh unto you. And ye shall tell my father of all my glory in Egypt and of all that you have seen, and ye shall haste and bring down my father hither. Okay, so here it is. Joseph is commissioning his brothers, right? Joseph as a type of Christ, commissions them, commissions those 11 men to go and proclaim, to tell the good news to Israel. Do you see the picture? Christ, <coughs> He does the finished work of reconciliation right at the cross of Calvary. What comes next? He commissions his disciples to, co- to go and tell Israel of all of his glory. Does everybody see that? Um, he is commissioning them to proclaim the good news to Israel. This is an incredible statement of grace. It's an incredible statement of faith in the fact that God is at work You know, Joseph's view was that God was in charge of everything and even used their hatred of him, their evil that they committed against him, for great good, even their hate and scheming. I mean, they wanted to murder him. They end up just settling for betraying him, selling him out, literally, and God used it all. So get this down in your notes. It is incredible that God can use your haters to fulfill his perfect will. Not just for your life, but for theirs as well. You know, only God can take all of these things and work it together for good. I mean, think about it. They hate their little brother. You're not gonna rule over us. Oh, yes, he will. <laughs> they hate their little brother. And so they literally commit one of the most horrendous, one of the, one of the I mean, it's just an ultimate sin. It doesn't get, you can't get any lower than this. They sold their little brother into slavery. And God used that for their good. Man, being reconciled with Christ. You know, people, again, people get into condemnation over their past sin. Man, whatever it was that, 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 that God used to bring you to the place where now you're before his feet in surrender, praise the Lord for it. The good, the bad, the ugly. He works it all together for good, Romans 8, 28. We know that all things work together for good. To them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. You know, Joseph, from his perspective, think about all that he went through all the betrayed times, all the persecuted times, all the unfair I mean, he was literally sold into slavery, all the unfair times, all the prison time. And God was working it all together for good in his life and the life of his family. Verse 14, he fell upon his brother Benjamin's neck and wept and Benjamin wept upon his neck. Moreover, he kissed all his brethren and wept upon them and after that his brethren talked with him. And the fame thereof was heard in Pharaoh's house saying, Joseph's brethren are come and it pleased Pharaoh well and his servants. So don't miss the fact that Joseph is the initiator of reconciliation. He reveals himself, he comforts them, he promises to provide for them. It's him that approaches them and and falls on their neck and kisses them. He is the initiator. You know, Arthur Pink made a great observation. He says, you know, it's the father who kissed the prodigal son. God always takes the initiative at every point in reconciliation. What a beautiful thing though for Joseph's brothers to realize Joseph is for them. After that, verse 15 says his brethren talked with him. Uh, They're now in communion with their brother. All right, verses 17 through 24. We're gonna title this section Joseph's Resources. Here's Pharaoh's response in verse 17. Pharaoh said unto Joseph, say unto thy brethren, this do ye, laid your beasts, and go get you unto the land of Canaan. And take your father and your households and come unto me and I will give you the good of the land of Egypt and ye shall eat the fat of the land. Now thou art commanded this do ye, take you wagons out of the land of Egypt for your little ones and for your wives and bring your father and come. Also regard not your stuff. (laughs) For the good of all the land of Egypt is yours. And the children of Israel did so, and Joseph gave them wagons, according to the commandment of Pharaoh, and gave them provision for the way. To all of them gave he each man changes of raiment, but to Benjamin he gave 300 pieces of silver, and five changes of raiment. Ben comes back home rich. And to his father he sent after this matter manner, 10 asses laden with the good things of Egypt, and 10 she asses laden with corn, and bread, and meat, for his father by the way. So he sent his brethren away, and they departed, and he said unto them, see that you fall not out by the way. Uh, get this done. Get it done quick. Come back to me. So notice, God's providing for Israel's journey into Egypt by Egypt. Egypt is, foot, I mean, Egypt is covering all the moving costs. Okay, Egypt is paying for them to come and be provided for. Well, That's just exactly the way that they go out of Egypt. Just like they would be provided for, just like they were provided for by Egypt to go into Egypt, they will, after 400 years of slavery, after 430 years in the land of Egypt, they will be provided for, their expenses to get to the promised land will be taken care of by Egypt themselves. In other words, the Bible says they spoil Egypt on the way out. In Exodus, since we're here in Genesis 45, go ahead and turn over to Exodus chapter three. At the end of Exodus chapter three, he's he's talking about how he's gonna bring them out with a mighty hand. He'll smite Egypt in verse 20. Um, and then here it is, verse 21. And I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And it shall come to pass that when ye, when ye go, you shall not go out empty. When you leave Egypt, you're not gonna leave broke. They're gonna pay you for 400 years of slavery. Watch this. Every woman shall borrow of her neighbor and of her that sojourneth in her house jewels of silver and jewels, jewels of gold and raiment. And you shall put them on your sons upon your daughters, and ye shall spoil the Egyptians. Uh, you're, gonna, you're, gonna, you're gonna leave, and you're gonna break the bank on your way out. Okay, then you get down to uh, chapter 12 and verse 35. Israel does exactly that. Israel did according to the word of Moses, Exodus 12, 35. And they borrowed of the Egyptians jewels of silver and jewels of gold and raiment, and the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians, so that they lent unto them such things as they required, and they spoiled the Egyptians. Right, and they and so, you know, Israel leaves with their resources. They leave with what? I mean, as a matter of fact, you read the Exodus account, and they can't wait to be rid of them because things are getting bad in Egypt. These guys want to go, we need to let them go, otherwise we're dead men. <laughs> You know, they can't, they just take it all, just get out, go. They spoil them on the way out, so don't miss that. They go into Egypt the same way they will come out. They will leave Egypt at Egypt's cost. So here's the key, okay, when you think about what's really the principle of what's happening in terms of Egypt, think about, think about their rise and their fall. A Jew shows up at Egypt and turns them into a superpower. And that's what we're gonna find out in the next chapters. I mean, Egypt goes from being a, a regional power to the center of the civilized world. They're the only ones that have food. And as a result, Joseph ends up bringing everything under Pharaoh's rule. So a Jew comes into Egypt and the result is Egypt becomes a superpower, the superpower of the civilized world. And then the Jew leaves Egypt and Egypt is busted, broke, a crippled nation. That's what happens. What did God tell Abraham? I will bless them that bless thee. I will what? I'll curse them that curseth thee. When Egypt was blessing the Jew, what happened? She became the superpower. She became the center of the civilized world. When Egypt abused the Jew, what happened? Well, she was brought low. I will bless them that bless thee. I will curse them that curse thee. All right. Verses 24 through 38, this will title, this section will be Joseph's request. They went up out of Egypt and came into the land of Canaan unto Jacob, their father, and they give him Joseph's request. Here it is, verse 26. And told him, saying, Joseph is yet alive, and he is governor over all the land of Egypt. And Jacob's heart fainted, for he believed them not. And they told him all the words of Joseph, which he had said unto them, And when he saw the wagons which Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of Jacob their father revived. And Israel said, it is enough. Joseph my son is yet alive, I will go. Right? He is called, I will come. I will go and see him before I die. So what do you have? Again, don't miss the picture. Once Joseph is reconciled to his brethren, he sends them, he commissions them to go tell the good news that he's alive to their father, right? Joseph's brethren procre- <coughs> the right word to use here is resurrection. Cuz in cause in, ja- in Jacob's mind, Joseph's been dead now for what? Close almost 30 years, okay? He's been dead now for all, for for well over two decades and and um, he's he's he he's still grieving it, okay? So, from jo- Jacob's perspective, these boys are coming and, and they're bringing the story of Joseph's resurrection. And don't miss that it's those whose rebellious sin killed Joseph. I mean, if we're going to just talk in terms of, 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 of the picture, right? Their rebellious sin kills Joseph. Now they're commissioned to proclaim to Israel that Joseph is Lord of all. You see how the picture works? Those who pierce him, those who, I mean, think about it. It was our sin that killed our creator. We're the guilty ones, okay? He was dead, but now he lives. The former guilty ones are commissioned to go tell the good news. What a privilege it is to say the Lord is risen indeed. You know, at first, Jacob doesn't believe the story. And that's how Israel is wired, Okay, I mean, here's the truth, it's smacking you right in the face, can't believe it. At Pentecost, once the promise of the Spirit comes, and man, they're preaching, and everybody's hearing the gospel in their native tongue. I mean, a miracle is taking place. Well, at first, they don't believe the story. Acts 2.12 says, they were all amazed and were in doubt, saying one to another, what meanest this? Others, mocking, said, these men are full of new wine. Uh, They're trying to give a a demonic explanation for what God is doing. But this is how Israel is wired as a a people, as a nation. You know, the first time, the first encounter with the truth, can't believe it, can't receive it. Um, But, you know, God's in the business of opening eyes. Jacob does see it. He has revival when he sees the proof of Joseph's life. Here are these, they're obviously Egyptian carts. Uh, where did all this provision come from? He didn't send them down to Egypt with this much money. They're coming back with all of this food, all of this supply. Benjamin is now filthy, stinking rich. Joseph ruling everything is the only explanation and so he believes and then he obeys. He says, I will go. Man, what an incredible picture. Here's Here's Jacob, thinks he's at the, I'm gonna go see him before I die. He thinks he's at the end of his life, okay? He's still got some good years left in him. I'm just gonna go see him and, 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 and that'll, that'll be like the final thing on my bucket list before I die is to see my son again. But God's got plans, God wants to move him. A lot of times, you know, especially to older saints, you, know, you think my, my path, my trajectory is set now. No, God still wants to move you. He still wants to use you in the lives of people. Your life is never over. If you're, brothers, sisters, if you can fog a mirror, God wants to use you, okay? Get full of faith that you have a place in his kingdom. Otherwise, you're going to wallow in misery. You're just going to let death sneak up on you and put you in a stranglehold for a couple decades before he takes you out. Man, don't don't, don't waste your life like that. It's good to be ready, Matthew Henry says. It's good to be ready, not only for the grave, but for whatever may happen betwixt us and the grave. Uh, If you're still fogging a mirror, man, how's the Lord gonna use you today? Jacob says, I will go. He, he, He responds, he obeys the call of Joseph over his life and what does he get? You know, Pharaoh backs him up on it. You get the best of the land, that's what you get. You get the best that your savior has to offer. That's the way it works for us. I mean once you receive Christ's invitation, invitation what's he, I mean he says come, once you say I will go, you get the best, you, not only do you get Jesus, but you get everything that comes with him. Psalms 16 verse 11 says, in thy presence is fullness of joy and at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. So many people delay in saying I will go. Jesus is calling. I want you with me. Come be near me. I want you in my life. And what they say is, this is what's in the heart of man, is it's not time yet. You know, Jacob wants to just sit in his grove for a while. <laughs> no. All that's there is just death. Because Joseph isn't there. I'll give my life to Christ later on. I've got a few things that I want to do. What's behind all of that? Is I think the things that I want to do with my life are going to be a whole lot better than if I surrender my life to Christ. Man, if I surrender my life to Christ, he'll take it. I mean, his name is Lord, after all. It means master. Master. That means I don't get to run me anymore. I have to serve at the pleasure of my Savior's will. I have to obey his word. And if I do that, that means I can't do what I wanna do. So what, what, what's keeping people from running to Joseph, running to Jesus, surrendering their life to Christ? What's keeping people from saying, I will go? Because whatever it is that, 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 that they think that they wanna do, they think that's better than what Christ has for them. And how many know there's no comparison? Man, being with Jesus is far better than anything you could ever build for your life in this for yourself, right? In terms of a life in this world. In his presence is fullness of joy. At his right hand are pleasures forevermore. It's better to be with Jesus. Okay, so before we close, I just want to make this point very quickly. The big picture that we're seeing here in this passage is here is an illustration of Israel in a time of tribulation. This time of famine pictures a time of tribulation. Uh, the time of Daniel's 70th week. Um, it's a seven year peace treaty that the Antichrist makes between Israel and the rest of the world. The first three and a half years are gravy. Everything's going great. They think they've got a solution, but then the Antichrist breaks the deal in the midst of the week, in the midst of the seven years. and. And, and, and it will be a time of great famine. It'll be a time of great loss. And, and, and so from their perspective, all hope is lost. But the Jew, right, they get the message that my son Joseph is alive. Right, I'll go see him. And so when the believing Jew sees the abomination of desolation, they flee to the wilderness where they are supernaturally provided for by Jesus himself. And that's the picture, incredible picture of national revival. Joseph says, come, dwell with me. I'll give you the fat of the land. Jacob says, he hears. Okay, he sees it. Joseph really is alive. And so what does he do? He says, I will go. And in the midst of famine, in the midst of trial and tribulation, he goes where he is supernaturally provided for. He and all of his. History will repeat itself soon and very soon. There will be a peace treaty that will be broken by the Antichrist. The believing Jew will see it. It's the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet. Jesus talked about this in Matthew 24. What did he say to do? Don't pack, don't do anything, just get up and go. Flee to the Judean wilderness, flee to the mountains. He'll take, don't, you remember what Joseph's word was? Don't regard your stuff, just come on. That, that, that's the message from Joseph and Pharaoh. Just come on, don't worry about it. I've got you. Don't, don't come down and pack. <laughs> don't try to take your, your, your resources and your stores. Don't do that. Just go, and, and the believing Jew will do that, and they will be provided for until Christ's return. I'd like us to bow our heads and humble our hearts this morning. How many would say, Pastor, please, would you pray for me? I've been, I've been given excuses. You know, the Lord is calling me. He wants me to come. He wants me to surrender my life to him. But, but I've, been, I've been giving excuses for that, against that. And uh, I've, been, I've been putting my plans ahead of Christ's call over my life. Pastor, would you pray for me? Can I see your hands? Is there anybody like that? Okay, so there's several. Is there any that would say, Pastor, pray for me? I know I'm not saved, I've been afraid to surrender my life to Christ, and I'm recognizing, I'm acknowledging this morning that that's messed up. Pray for me, I need to surrender my life to Christ, I need forgiveness of sin, I need to be born again, I need to be saved. Is there anybody like that? Pastor, pray for me, I need to run to Jesus, yes sir. Anybody else? Please pray for me. Okay, I see it. Anybody else? I'm not sure I'm saved, I don't know that I'm going to heaven, okay. So there's three, anybody else? Please pray for me, I I need Christ in my life. How many would say, Pastor, pray for me? Man, I've been living in condemnation over sin. And that's hindering my, 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 my faith, it's hindering my walk, it's hindering my growth in Christ. And I'm fixated on my failures in the flesh instead of just walking in the spirit, instead of just believing God and, and in endeavoring to apply the word of God to my life. Please, would you pray for me? Let me see your hands. Okay. Man, I'm gonna pray. And then this is your opportunity to respond in faith, okay? If God's saying come, your job is to say, I will go, amen? And that's what we've seen this morning? That's what we saw this morning, that's what we've seen. Father, Lord, you see all who are responding in some way this morning. You recognize who we are, where we're at. You know us better than we know ourselves. And so, Lord, for those that need to come to Jesus in repentance of sin, crying out for mercy, forgiveness, and salvation, Lord, I pray for them that today would be the day of salvation. For those that have excuses for why they cannot do that, Lord, help them to to see, God, open their eyes, help them to see these are satanic substitutes, poor pitiful substitutes for the blessing, the riches, the treasure that's found in a life with you. Lord, for born again believers who, Lord, the Somehow, they're, they're just wallowing in condemnation over who they are in the flesh. Help them to see this morning that, that today, because of Jesus, that's not who they are anymore. Who they are in the flesh, that's not who they are. Uh, they are now in Christ. Lord, help them to walk in faith. Help them to walk in your word. Help them to just recognize, they, I, need, I need to be accountable to walk in the Spirit. And Lord, let them take that next step on the path to growth. Lord, in everything, we pray that Christ would be preeminent. Lord, let Christ have, I mean, he has all authority. So let it be manifest over our life. He has the rule. Lord, help us to submit ourselves to him. He's calling. He's saying, come, be with me. Lord, help us to say, I will go. And I ask this in Jesus' name, amen.